Welcome to another A24 Vibe discussion, y'all. My name's Eric Kiska, and in light of the film The Iron Claw being released last Friday, Kevin and I decided to have a little spoiler-free discussion about wrestling and the Von Erich family, as my co-host Kevin here is a huge wrestling fan and wrestling historian. I just wanted to preface this podcast with the fact that we are not reviewing the film today, and we're actually just having a historical discussion about wrestling and the Von Erich family in hopes that it may provide more context for the film. But first... We start out every episode with our drink of choice. Kevin, what are you drinking? Well, uh, thanks for having me, Eric. It's a wonderful time to talk about wrestling and uh, alcohol. Uh, good evening, world. This is Kevin K. Konkonacek. And tonight I am drinking a rabbit hole bourbon called Cave Hill. It's uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and I've splashed it with a little bit of cider because it's still fall, and I feel like that's necessary. Now I'm drinking a nice Pinot Grigio because I thought that goes really well with wrestling. So if you uh, don't know what we're talking about, which would be confusing because this is an A24 podcast, A24 just released the film The Iron Claw on December 22nd, and it stars Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, and Lily James. Lily James we of course know from The Exception, which we reviewed this past year too, and uh, Jeremy Allen White. He was in The Bear, which is an A24, but uh, also a TV show I really love. And Zac Efron, I mean, he's just Zac Efron. So uh, The Iron Claw was directed and written by Sean Durkin, and it's about the tragic story of the Von Erich family in the 80s, who are a family of wrestlers that play a big part in the legacy of wrestling. That being said, this is a very tragic story, so I will advise listeners that there will be discussions of suicide and drug overdoses tonight. Now, Kevin, before we get into the discussion, when A24 announced the Iron Claw and realized A24 was doing it, what was your initial reaction? Oh, man. My first reaction was, oof, that's going to be heavy. Like, knowing the subject matter and knowing that no matter who was going to make a movie about it, what production company it was going to be, there was going to be some very heavy subject matter that was going to very likely come out a certain way on screen. I mean that as like, this story has a lot of conjecture, a lot of things that people don't necessarily know the truth about. And this movie is going to probably attempt to sell a certain side of it. So when I heard that they were making a movie, of course I wanted to know, you know, what, what was there going to be their viewpoint? Whose, whose side were they going to look at? Where were there? what, who are they targeting, I guess? What was the storyline going to be about? Was it going to be about the dad? Was it going to be about all of the boys? Was it going to be about the tragedy? What was it going to be about? Um, and as we've kind of seen some of the trailer, and, and you know, obviously it's released now, but but I have a feeling that they're going to you know, focus on the human element, the the feelings, the, the side of wrestling that not many folks see because there's always that part of the behind the scenes. So my immediate reaction was, holy crap, Heavy, heavy, heavy. That's going to be a really big uh, effort uh, to go after. Um, but then on like secondary thinking about it more, it was kind of like I'm glad A24 is going to give this its its due. And I don't think a, a major, well, I can call A24 a major movie house now, but something that isn't indie focused probably wouldn't give wrestling the time of day, even though at the time these three, you know, they were bigger than the Beatles. Like these guys were folk heroes and Jesus for a lot of folks in Texas during the 80s and 
I think that this movie is going to show that, and it's really going to be a, a spectacle. So you're a huge wrestling fan, and you follow everything you can get your hands on from the uh, WWE to the more amateur wrestling leagues. So I'm wondering, how do you think the wrestling community is going to receive this film? It's really interesting to me that these days in 2023, we kind of have the internet wrestling community as a really big side of things. So all the Twitter heads, all of the uh, clickbait guys that you know are using YouTube reels and everything else to try to get people to grab their attention and buy their shit. But then you also have the old school mentality of wrestlers, the guys who you know either came up during the 80s or are now, you know, the old heads that are retired after having seen everything. And those are kind of two separate entities in the wrestling world, right? So you have the guys who actually lived it and the ones that have seen it and the ones that can give you their perspective versus the, the internet jockeys that are looking for uh, a clickbait or something that a podcast can grab attention on. I think that there's probably two sides mostly to this story or camps. We'll talk about it when you ask me some questions later about Fritz and the blame and some of the other stuff that goes on. And for the most part, the wrestling community probably is going to see this film and feel even more empathy for the Von Erichs. Is going to feel even more like, holy shit, this really was as bad as it everyone made it out to be i guess so it's just going to be heavy i don't think it's going to offend anybody really i think it's just going to kind of show some light on you know probably some of the most tragic family members of people in history of all time when it comes to wrestling so let's get into the von eric family curse what is the von eric family curse and why do you think it's important to make a movie about it Absolutely. And I think it's really relevant, too, because if you watch the, the trailer for the H24 film or you, you kind of see the way they set this up, the first thing they talk about is is uh, this curse, the idea that my, my father has always told us that the family was cursed. And that's kind of what it comes down to. The family truly believed at one point or another that everything that was happening to them was a result of this curse. Let's go back a little bit farther. So Fritz von Erich used to play a Nazi character back when he was in the 50s and 60s uh, coming up through uh, the world of professional wrestling, the father of the of the von Erich family. And whether it was a legend that kind of got crafted around his character or something that actually came to be, the story was that a Holocaust survivor uh, either approached Fritz von Erich or told Fritz von Erich that he would be cursed because of the making light of the situation of the Holocaust and playing a character so abysmal and evil as a, as a Nazi. And that because this Holocaust survivor's family all died, all of his sons except for one died in the, in concentration camps, that he cursed uh, Fritz von Erich's family to also suffer a, a similar fate. And so whether I think that story got told to his family or whether or not that was just kind of the way that the media started portraying it, because, of course, the history is is just littered with tragedy with this family, uh, from the death of their first child all the way through Fritz himself surviving, you know, all but one of his six kids. It's just mind-blowing. So, uh, yeah, the, the curse itself, it basically... I honestly believe it's kind of more of a clickbait thing where it's people like you get to talk about the curse of the Von Erichs, but their family truly believed it. You talk about Kevin Von Erich, the guy, you know, who survived the long son. He talks about it and says, yeah, I truly believed or I do believe that our family, you know, had something going on with it from a curse perspective. And I think that this movie is going to really focus in on that aspect 
because truly, if you look at the time frame and the ages of everyone who passed and all of the circumstances, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't feel, it really feels like a, a cursed situation, like just everybody getting targeted for one reason or another. And I'm sure you can play it, you can explain the circumstantial evidence around it all, but for for the family being involved, they surely felt like God was out for them, you know? So let's start with the patriarch of the Von Erich family. Who was Fritz Von Erich, and how did he make a name for himself in old-school wrestling? He was kind of a pioneer, right? Yeah, so let's go back a little bit. So Jack Barton Adkinson is the name of uh, Fritz Von Erich, his, his given uh, government name. And uh, he was a football player, and he married pretty young, and he tried to go make it in the NFL, didn't make it so hot. So he ended up in Canada trying out for the CFL, where he met the legendary Stu Hart. Stu Hart is the... Um, what do we call him? The founder, the patriarch. From the Hart family, right? Father of Owen Hart? Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the the dungeon in Canada. Uh, and he picked up this uh, young guy and basically said, oh, you got some good looks. You, you've got the football body. You kind of look like an Aryan. So we'll train you, and then we're going to go ahead and uh, capitalize on this fervor of um, post-World War II anti-Nazism. And they billed him and paired him with another guy they called Waldo Von Erich and said they were brothers. They weren't actually brothers, but then they went around as a tag team heel partnership. And he always talks about his his drive in the ring and how he would try to be the best at everything he did. And so when it became a bad guy, he had to be the best that he possibly could be. So you asked me if he was a pioneer. Uh, absolutely freaking lutely This dude, when he was at the height of his gimmick, uh, was one of the hated, most hated heels in all of professional wrestling. Because we're talking about territory days where they basically would have individual territories across the entire country where you would bring talent to make your baby faces or your good guys look a certain way. So you would come into certain talents and the heels would always be facing, you know, the big champs or trying to make the good guys look better. And he was just so incredibly evil that he often didn't times even get booed. They would just like avoid him and just try to like the crowd, the crowd would just like be terrified of this guy. He he truly went out of his way to be the best bad guy he possibly could be. And it probably didn't help when he lost his his young son at only six. There's some reports that basically after that happened, he was kind of broken and wanted to make everybody else miserable around him, including his opponents in the ring. Uh, Fritz von Erich was very famous for being what they call a stiff wrestler. Um, his opponents wouldn't want to wrestle him because he would he would be violent. He would he would do the moves a lot harder. He would legitimately try to hurt individuals. Um, his finishing move, the Iron Claw itself, is truly a temple press and then he would essentially hurt guys with with those moves and so he just gained a reputation as being just an incredible hard ass in the ring and outside of the ring and i think that kind of transverts into what we hear about the rest of his family um and the way he was as a father and kind of just his domineering persona in general so he was definitely very legendary he made a bunch of money he was rich he was famous and his kids knew it so growing up his kids talk about it where his being on TV would affect them in school because, right, they would have to, you know, defend their father or felt like they had to treat it a certain way because on the screen it was their hero. It didn't matter if he was playing a Nazi. It didn't matter if he was being an evil dude. He was still their dad and they wanted 
to emulate him and be just like him in every single way. And so that was kind of a, a weird dichotomy. And a big reason also why he changed Babyface in you know, later in his life, essentially, because he knew that he was going to be on TV a lot and wanted to capitalize on, on the monetary side of that, too. Now, the first of the six sons that Fritz Von Erich had was Jack Adkinson Jr. Jack was born before any of the Von Erich wrestling brothers in 1952. How did he die, and do you think his death had any influence on the five brothers that would be born in the next 15 years? Yeah, I think it was six. He was coming home from school, and uh, the trailer had been worked on earlier in the day by one of their neighbors, and a cord essentially had been left to touch the bear outside of the trailer. Um, little Jack came around the tongue, uh, the front of the trailer, tripped up, uh, electrocuted himself, uh, passed out unconscious, face down in the snow, and drowned. And that was the, the first uh, death of the family. Uh, both the parents blamed themselves um, incredibly. Uh, they were, you know, unconsolable. Kevin talks about it being, I think it was only two or three at the time, but uh, remembering uh, his family just being incredibly sad, crying all the time, and his little brother just not coming home anymore. And that was the, the first. And I can't imagine that had any, like, that had to have been a domino effect in general for a lot of different things. I mean, we talked about the curse a little bit, but just from a parent standpoint, wanting to never have that happen again, but then still having to go through this weird obsession of fame and everything else. It's just, there's no real way to know, right? There's no way to know how you ask a family what the death of their child does. It's probably not something you can put down on, on paper, but if I had to guess, it probably changed uh, Fritz von Erich for the worst uh, as far as his, I don't know, you think about when bad things happen to you, you become bitter, you become hardened. You don't have the same empathy for folks. You just want, you know, you want either everyone else to feel the same way you do, whether that be pain or hurt, or you just try to bury it with physical violence or drugs, painkillers, alcohol, things like that. And I think that probably that cycle of trauma started very early for this family. And because they were so insulated inside themselves, meaning that dad, mom, kids, they lived in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have other friends outside of school and the people that they did see in school, like they were the sons of a rich guy on TV. So they were grown up in the spotlight. They didn't have a normal childhood. And then you have a father who probably didn't have a normal childhood either, or not even just a normal anything. Like, if you go back even farther, Fritz von Erich talks about his dad, you know, being abusive and taking him and the boys out for fighting when they were younger. So this cycle perpetuates itself over and over. And you see it in the second generation, you know, see it outside of this family too. So... Yeah, it's just just keeps going. So Fritz von Erich had a big impact on the history of wrestling. What were his contributions to the NWA and the WCCW? How did he make these two wrestling corporations big? Yeah, so the NWA is the National Wrestling Alliance, which is like the governing body of wrestling at the time. So basically they had one champ, one belt, and they would make decisions as a board on who those champions would be, where that guy would go, what territories they would would take their business to and it was a really big deal because of the NWA, NWA champ didn't come to your territory while well, you're not drawn because like that's the idea that's the, the champ the guy you want to put your guys up against him and run a program with him um, and so the NWA would kind of 
you know, be the overarching thing. And how Fritz von Erich kind of fits in with this is he knew he had to be part of that process all as he was kind of coming up when he was a wrestler. And so he gained a lot of clout. He knew he wrestled um, in the St. Louis area. He knew some of the big wigs in the NWA. So when it came time for him to start his own promotion, which eventually was world-class championship wrestling, uh, WCCW, uh, he basically took all the things that he learned while being, you know, various champions. He never actually was the the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. He was a North American Champion, some other varieties for a while, the Texas Champion, things like that. But he he absolutely uh, had some significant clout, and we can kind of talk about that when we get a little bit down in the in the history uh, of Kerry Von Erich when he eventually beats Ric Flair for the for the World's Heavyweight Championship. But uh, he knew the dichotomy and the politics of wrestling, which is the really big part. A lot of people compare old school wrestling to old school mafias and the Costa Nostra and the idea that you have this secret society that you basically can't talk about, but everybody's making money about it. And you have to keep those secrets and keep everything protected in order to keep the business. And it's called kayfabe. And it's this whole idea that you keep wrestling secrets behind wrestling doors. And eventually money gets in the way of that. And you want to make a bigger product and you want to make that product go to syndication and go to television and go to all of these different places. And in order to do that, you have to branch out away from this NWA, for example. So eventually, uh, Fritz von Erich leaves the NWA and creates his own basically independent wrestling organization, which we see. And he still was very NWA friendly, so it wasn't like he completely abandoned and cut all ties but he basically is like, I have a more collective or a more lucrative product and you're going to want my wrestlers more than it matters that we're looking for, you know, Ric Flair, for example, or, or Harley Race or whatever the champion was at the time. So when did the WWF come around and what was the NWA and WCCW compared to the WWF or what we now know today as the WWE? Sure. So all the way up until 1980, WWF, essentially, old school WWF, uh, was still owned by Vince Sr., and it was part of the Northeastern Territory. So he was New York, Boston, all of that area up top there. So basically, in 1982, McMahon purchased the, Vince McMahon Jr., purchased it from his father, uh, and then it started just doing massive expansion from 1982 onwards, trying to uh, buy up all these territories, take all of the money and take all the, the different TV rights and syndicate them all into one program. Uh, he actually approached the guys in WCCW at one point, uh, Fritz Sr., and was talking about bringing them kind of in uh, as part of this program. But at the time, actually, in you know 84, 85, WCCW was more popular, was actually a bigger draw than New York, was bigger than Vince McMahon's WWF at the time. They were the ones that had the hot program. They were the ones that had the hot ratings. They were breaking attendance records for North American wrestling shows long before the WWF ever took off with Hulk Hogan, you know, later on in the 80s and eventually turned into the machine that we saw in the 90s with the Attitude Era and everything else. But this reason that the Von Erich family is so damn famous is not just because of their tragedy, but because of their position in wrestling at the time. And I referenced it earlier in this podcast, but they were basically the Beatles in the sense that they could do no wrong. Everything they did, everything they touched was absolute gold. And they just kind of were a small uh, time shot of just something really, really special as wrestling was kind of breaking into the mainstream uh, and really being like, as TV grew, as the exposure grew, it was the boom. It was the time to, to be a professional wrestler for sure. 
Now, the Iron Claw, the A24 film, mainly focuses on the Von Erich family in the 80s, the five Von Erich brothers, and their life in wrestling. It seems that all five Von Erich brothers at least attempted to be wrestlers, with some of them becoming famous in wrestling, too. Why do you think all five of them decided to go into wrestling? I think first and foremost, they love their father, they love their family, and they wanted to emulate him and be just like him. And they've wanted that ever since they could walk. Like That was the way that family was. It was the old school mentality of the patriarch of the family, being the provider, being the strongest man, being the the everything and that those kids latched on to that and that was absolutely part of their upbringing um constantly and because of fritz's entire career is the only reason they existed was wrestling right he never made it into anything else but he was an incredibly famous professional wrestler and made a bunch of money so it would be you know we'd look at oh god this is i'm kind of in a tangent here but all of the rocks family they have a whole bunch of wrestlers in the Rocks family, like a bunch of different cousins and different uncles and dads, and everybody is all related and touched by wrestling one way or another because that's what they see in their family. That's the family line. That's the family legacy. So when your father is literally one of the most famous people in the entire planet when it comes to wrestling, and you are insulated and living in a place where it's just you, your brothers, and your brothers are born in a certain way where they're only like a year or two underneath you. So they're all really, really close. It makes perfect sense why they ended up doing what they ended up doing. Now, the first couple of brothers, it makes much more sense. So Fritz raised them all as athletes. They were really professional, really, really successful track athletes. Um, Kerry Von Erich almost went to the Olympics on discus. Uh, they, you know, his, his dad was a big track athlete. So as far as that side of it, they were always going to be sports stars one way or another. And I think that just kind of translated into wrestling when their sports stuff fell apart. So Kevin Von Erich talks about his knees collapsing basically during wrestling or during football, and he knew that he couldn't play football anymore. So him being the oldest brother after Jack had passed, uh, when Kevin decided to go to wrestling because he couldn't be a professional football player anymore, then the dominoes fell because the oldest brother is now in wrestling dad was in wrestling and dad's making money that's the biggest part too is fritz ronick never left wrestling they're all in texas they're all in dallas fort worth and then traveling out but fritz is making money like his whole idea is that he's making money with his with his company his kids are still young so they're growing up on tv they're growing up as being these precocious guys who are watching the the big wrestlers and all the names and so the families of these texas folks are watching these young boys grow up on television and they're exposed to it from day one. They have the commercials filmed about them. Like their dad talks about them. Their birthdays are celebrated on television. Their sports events are successes are just like celebrated on wrestling TV. So they didn't have a choice is what I'm trying to dance around here. Meaning if they wanted a choice, sure. But the first two, for sure, Kevin and David, they were going to be wrestlers regardless. Like they, they wanted it. That was what they basically set out to be. Then the other brothers, Carrie... Also kind of makes sense that he was always going to be a wrestler. But then Mike never really wanted to be a wrestler. He wanted to be more of a uh, cameraman. He liked guitar. He was kind of an artsy guy, but was kind of forced into it uh, to replace some of his brothers after they had fallen. And Chris just wanted to be a wrestler more than any of the other brothers, but just couldn't because he was 5'5 five, five and had brittle bones because of asthma, prednisone, and everything else. So, yeah, uh, I think they didn't have a choice, honestly. Even if they wanted to have a choice, they didn't have a choice. So before we get into the more tragic part of their story, let's talk about their lives in wrestling. 
Who was the most famous wrestler of the five brothers, and what were they like as wrestlers? Well, there was two different phases of fame, I suppose. So David was the heir apparent. David was going to be the next big thing, meaning he was going to very likely win the NWA World Championship. He was going to be on par with some big names like Ric Flair and Harley Race and getting a big push as being the next big thing. He was six foot seven. He had a uh, great charisma. He had a great in-ring work ethic. He had um, basically the ability to, uh, you know, talk about different holds and different moves. He was just a cerebral architect in the ring and had a lot of great technical stuff going for him. Um, But when he passed, obviously, at 25, you can't really compare that anymore because that kind of stopped. Uh, Kerry Von Erich was the one who kind of was the one who was the most superstar-like. He had the most charisma. He was the biggest body. He was uh, the one who eventually won championships and went on to WWF and kind of had uh, the most success professionally, but only because he lived longer, honestly. I think that if David would have survived, he would have been the most famous and would have gone on to be you know, one of the most legendary wrestlers of his time. Uh, and he's a major reason why that family, why that family in general, uh, kind of has some of the mystique that they do about them. Is just he was, he was bigger, larger than life. They called him the Yellow Rose of Texas. And uh, when he died, I think four thousand people came to his funeral. They had to put speakers to the outside of the church, and they couldn't let anybody within two miles of the building. It was just, you know, it was like one of their own had passed. And he was, without a doubt, the most talented out of all of them, for sure. So they were all WCCW and never WWF, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, they were all on their on their uh, twice weekly television programs um, and everything else. So yeah, they were they were part of that whole thing. Although, Kerry uh, uh, did go on to wrestle for Vince in the WWF for uh, several years before the end of his career. So he eventually took the money and ran as WCCW was in its final years in the late eighties when the bottom fell out, and he uh, took the payday and and went up north. And WCCW was pretty much all based in Texas. As far as I know, it was all based in Texas. Uh, I'm sure they had, you know, their television program that extended outside. They basically had, I don't know how wide this indication was, but I'm pretty sure it was nationwide. And they had some international global rights as well. So it far extended outside of Texas, but because they did film at the Dallas Sportatorium um, and some of their other bigger venues, it was all Texas. So it was very quintessentially Texas territory wrestling. And that's where these guys, yeah, really cut their teeth and kind of made a big deal for themselves uh, in specifically Texas, yeah. Now, I don't want to go through each of the Von Erich brothers' deaths. That would be quite the long and depressing journey for our listeners. But I do want to focus on David Von Erich, as there's some mystery around his death. And he was the first to die of the Von Erich wrestling brothers. His death was officially ruled an accidental death of acute enteritis. But both Ric Flair and McFoley say that he actually died from a drug overdose. Do you believe this? Mm. All right. So it's important for our listeners to kind of get the idea that in the 80s, uh, especially in the wrestling industry, painkillers were prescribed like candy. Guys had multiple scripts from multiple doctors, and they would pop everything under the sun, uh, sleeping pills, painkillers, just everything. And the thing was, the Von Erich family had a very, very squeaky clean, we are the heroes of the world we would never do anything wrong on the outside 
But I don't think that their dad ever fully admitted that their kids ever had problems. So he would sweep things under the rug or make it not a big deal or not discipline his kids or try to make it seem like they weren't actually having a problem. When in reality, when you're wrestling 365 days, twice a day, that's one of those like violent things you can do. Your body is going to completely fall apart. And when you're getting shot full of painkillers 24-7 and then you get sick... Who knows the combination of things that could happen? Uh, it could be spin doctoring on the family, but they talk about how he was feeling ill before the trip. Maybe he had some sort of flu or felt a particular way. The reports basically was any when he got to Japan the first night. Typically, a lot of Western wrestlers, when they get to Japan, get taken out by uh, wealthy Japanese businessmen and get treated to lavish dinners, uh, tons of alcohol. The alcohol... Uh, not community, but the culture in Japan is very strong. And a lot of wrestlers talk about this constantly, about the the alcohol. When it's bought for you by expensive patrons, by people that are trying to, you know, we love you, we love you, we're such a big fan, who knows? But the, basically the story goes that he drank all night heavily, heavily, heavily with all of the wrestlers when he first got to Japan. Uh, and then if he took any number of the painkillers that he probably was already on coming into this, it was just a, a combination that we've seen time and time again uh, from rock stars and wrestlers and everybody else. And in the 80s, it was just kind of another thing, you know? So would it be accurate to say that the combination of the pills, the alcohol, and the lifestyle most likely led to the deaths of a lot of wrestlers. Yeah, incredibly accurate. I mean, these guys were essentially getting paid massive paydays to go play wrestle with their friends in a ring and get out and just go on the town and feel like kings. And, man, the combination of alcohol and painkillers can't... It's not good. Totally not good. <laughs> and these guys were just going... go. Just, I mean, I can't imagine throwing yourself at the ground constantly night after night after night after night and traveling in shitty cars and crappy hotels and the only thing that you can do to feel better about it is to pop some pills and drink something and if you don't then you're just sitting there miserable and you can't go the next day and if you can't go the next day then you don't get paid and then it's just a vicious cycle over and over again so these guys whether the expectation was by the dad whether it was the bookers whether it was their own brothers and family the expectation is you're a wrestler and if you're a von eric you don't miss bookings you just wrestle period, and you wrestle as hard as you possibly can, and after the camera goes off, then it doesn't matter because people aren't watching you anymore. That's when you can take all the drugs or do all the things to make you feel better for the next time that the camera goes on because that red light's the only thing that matters to these guys, and that's the sad craziness about the whole thing. So after David died, there were three more wrestling brothers that all died from killing themselves. And uh, did the death of David Von Erich somehow influence this? Was it their childhood or Fritz Von Erich's parenting? Why do you think this happened the way it did? I think it's circumstantial, to be honest with you, because after David had died, there was a void in the family's TV product. And so Fritz Von Erich had to find a way to keep advertising the Von Erich boys, because without them... They weren't filling the seats. They weren't making the money. They weren't booking the show the same way. So when David died, they had a third member. Their first thought was going to be they were going to put a fake Von Erich into the team uh, of the name of Lance Von Erich. 
and they thought that they could slip him in and fool all of the Texas hardcores who just saw right through it and knew that he was not a Von Erich and it was a big problem. And then from there, they brought Mike in, and Mike was only, I think, 19 or 20 when he broke into the business, and he was never as athletic as his brothers. He was always a little bit weaker. He had a bad shoulder. And one night when he was wrestling in Israel, uh, he basically had uh, a severe shoulder injury in the ring, and they had to do emergency surgery in Tel Aviv. And they sent him back home, and within 24 hours of landing, he developed uh, an incredible infection uh, in his shoulder. His body temperature shot up to 107. He developed toxic shock syndrome and essentially suffered brain damage. Doctors thought he was going to die, but he survived. And one week later, the family rolled him out of the hospital and back on TV. That is the beginning of the end for poor Mike. The pressure to always be the family's savior, to be his big brother, not just to be his big brother, but to try to be the same wrestler as his big brother. I mean, David was one of a kind. He was legitimately going up against like Ric Flair and having great matches with him. And then to expect Mike to do the same, even though he's nowhere near the same athlete or the type of person or anything, was just too much. And then the pressure... Uh, and then, of course, having brain damage and everything else was the substance abuse started taking over because it was already prevalent in his life. Uh, and then he got arrested for, I think, cocaine or something along those lines, got released, and within 24 hours disappeared into the woods um, and committed suicide. So for Mike specifically, I think that David's death absolutely contributed to him taking his own life because of the pressure put onto him by the family, uh, as well as his injuries sustained from, you know, the ring and then the surgery that followed. So Carrie and Chris were the last two brothers to commit suicide. Why do you think they ended their lives the way they did? Chris was five foot five. He was an asthmatic who wanted to be a wrestler so, so, so bad, but it wasn't until Kerry had left for the WWE and Mike was gone. And so obviously it was David that his dad probably just was like, all right, you ready? There's not really evidence of that, but he was certainly on TV a lot growing up. So he was already being primed for this role of being a Von Eric, regardless if he was going to be good enough at it. There's stories of him breaking his arm on a basic backdrop, meaning that his bones were incredibly brittle. So there was just no chance of him ever actually being a successful professional wrestler as much as he tried. Same things that plagued his brother from a dependence on painkiller um, and a, an addictive personality and the pressure of, of a family who, you know, you just saw everybody in front of you kind of pass on. There's a weird story that after Mike passed, he left a pair of scuba fins for his brother as kind of like a gift or a, you know, a, a willing situation, but he left a note in one fin and then a bottle of sleeping pills in the other and basically said, when you're ready to join us. And that's just crazy and dark and conjecture probably, but Carrie even goes on to talk about it before he passed that he could hear his brothers calling to him from the void and he was essentially ready to go because of what had happened before that. Uh, and yeah, and the fact that they decided to do it all in their home property, like in their family plot on like the tree and the where they used to hang out. And it's just, it's so crazy. Family wins in and out in this circumstance. You know, they killed each other, killed themselves because of their family, but 
Ugh, just wild. Wild, wild, wild. Do you think the culture around wrestling or maybe even CTE might have contributed to their deaths? Like, I think of Chris Benoit, who was a wrestler who infamously killed his wife and seven-year-old kid before killing himself. And a lot of people think that CTE had to do with that situation. So do you think there's any relevance to the Von Erich situation? A little bit. Um, I know with Chris Benoit's situation, he was a little bit older. He was 40 by the time he killed himself. So he had spent, you know, a good 20 years of his life using his finisher, which was a flying headbutt off the top, which is probably not going to go so great for your brain. I'm, I'm sure it didn't help, you know, the physical side of it. I don't know if the mental brain damage forced these guys into the situation. I think it was truly the isolation that they felt from being raised the way they were and having nowhere to turn and not having any supportive adult figures in their life. Their dad was probably like, suck it up, Sally, deal with it. And if there's no support from a mental aspect, if you have no one that you can turn to uh, and you have generational trauma, very likely from handed down by your dad, who for better or for worse, you know, has some of the worst shit happened to him, period. And they were going to be affected by that one way or another. There's a crazy story that Kevin, towards the end of his dad's life, was basically helping him as he was going through brain cancer. And Fritz von Erich pulled a gun on Kevin von Erich and basically was like, if you had the courage, you would have killed yourself like your brothers. And Kevin von Erich's like, no, I don't have, you know, it's not courage to die, it's courage to live. And that whole perspective. It's just wild. And uh, yeah, kind of sad. So I'm kind of hearing a lot of echoes of toxic masculinity in the wrestling lifestyle, especially from the angle of Fritz von Erich as a parent. Um, do you think wrestling is different nowadays compared to back then? And how so? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you hear about it from the top down, how it's a different locker room. It's a different mixture of boys and girls who are doing these things now um who are wrestling at a at a different level for for reasons other than a crappy payday or or a hotel or a ring rat or all of the other things that go into it like they actually have desires from an artistic standpoint from an athletic standpoint i think the culture around wrestling has absolutely changed uh significantly there's probably still a ton of toxic masculinity in wrestling i would say that's definitely still a thing um but the workers are respected more. There's you know, wellness policies in places uh, to avoid some of these drug issues. Um, there's a whole lot of um, mental health awareness where there never used to be. Uh, and I think that you don't see nearly as many, if any, of the of the young deaths that plagued the, the 80s and 90s of all of these guys dying before the age of 40 from heart attacks and overdoses and everything else because it was just we talked about it, ride or die, this this really hard rock and roll lifestyle. And I think it's come a long way. Wrestling wrestling's very healthy right now in general. Like the 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 TV rights are going up. Uh the the viewership is is you know, I can't say it's ever been higher, but it, it's cr it's currently growing, uh, which is great. You have two major productions on television every single week. And uh wrestling is still very much uh alive and well in twenty twenty three, which I think is the reason why this is also being made. Uh, Zach Efron and them do some interviews and they basically were not big fans of wrestling essentially going into it and they come out 
just like wow i have such a respect for for this, the artistry and whatever else that goes you know into it so uh, the health of the industry is very good uh, right now and i think they've learned a lot of lessons uh, from the past so kevin i'm gonna round this out here by asking you who is your favorite wrestler of all time wow of all time out of out of every single wrestler i've ever watched in my entire life i have to pick one i don't think i can do that uh, no, I will. I will. Um, Mick Foley is is probably my all time favorite wrestler. Uh, he's the he's the uh, the blue collar everyman. He's just the the guy who's just worked his ass off and was dumb and funny and never had the right body as a wrestler, but was just successful anyway. I just uh, loved his his just ability to be himself, which was awesome. And I'll say my favorite wrestler growing up was Mankind. Just that demented mask and personality, and of course the. Best finisher of all time in Mr. Sacco. Who could love that man? So, Kevin, uh, is there anything else you want to add before we end this? No, I don't think so. Um, go watch some wrestling. Go look up your local indie fed. Go look at the guys working in the gym next door. Like, Go watch some wrestling. It's, it's good. It's worth your time. Come on. Branch out a little bit. It'll be fun. And thank you for joining us, A24 and wrestling fans. Don't forget to go see The Iron Claw, now at a theater near you. And also don't forget to rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever podcatcher that you use. Have a good night, everybody. A24 Vibe Discussion!